0: So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event.
1: Hello, and welcome to Fire in the Valley. Today, we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Jim Marshall. Good afternoon. Good morning to you, sir. Hi, Pete. Great to have you on. Listen, it's uh, always a pleasure to meet new people, especially going transatlantic. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. So, to give our listeners a bit of a background, so. So Jim Marshall is a polymathic. Uh, How do you pronounce that? Polymathic. 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 There you go. Intellectual who has devoted over fifty thousand hours to the study and practice of multiple dimensions of human potential and development. He received a classical education as an honor student at a Jesuit military prep school. He was accepted into engineering school while still on a junior, uh, still a junior in prep school, and attended college on an academic scholarship. He graduated college with a bachelor of science cum laude while still an undergraduate he began the study of alternative arts and science, sciences which today will be described as transformational and holistic eventually he became a professional practitioner and after 28 years of formal education had a long career as a human development engineer jim has integrated the best aspects of the most advanced techniques on the planet and expanded their limits by his own research and discovery he has successfully treated and or trained hundreds of clients over a 40-year career and is the inventor of septemics and several consciousness expanding systems his areas of expertise include psychology uh, physiology theology psychology yes yeah, sorry not physiology <laughs> psychology science engineering Math, law, literature, history, music, organizational metaphysics, military science, political science, physical, uh, culture, and education. Jim, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. That is quite a, a beautiful biography. So welcome. It's a privilege to have you on. Thanks Pete. Tell us, I mean, let's start with the easy one. What is Septemics? then? What's it all about?
2: Okay. Okay. Septemics is a philosophical science based on the fact that many phenomena related to human beings occur in a sequence of seven levels. Literally, the word septemics means of or pertaining to seven. Septemics comprises a collection of scales or sequences, each of which breaks down various human phenomena into a hierarchy of seven steps. There are 35 such scales which span the spectrum of human experience, by which I mean There is no situation that's going to arise in the life of a person which will not be addressed successfully by one or more of the scales in this book. In other words, it's universally applicable. Uh, There are 35 scales, and 24 of them apply primarily to individuals and 11 primarily to groups. Each of these 35 scales provides the user with an infallible way of determining the salutariness or beneficialness of any group, individual, or activity. If the group, individual, or activity moves persons or groups up these scales, it's beneficial or positive. If it moves them down, it's detrimental or negative. More importantly, just finding out what level you, another person, or some group is at is by itself enlightening and beneficial. Finally, once you know the actual level of a person or group, You can improve that person or group by moving them up one level at a time. All of these advantages represent major steps forward for society. Each of these scales is an axis against which to evaluate human behavior. Combined, they empower one to understand, predict, and manage human affairs to a degree hitherto unattainable by most.
1: Do do you see these as a scale? So for one to seven of the areas, and what is the measurement here? Is it emotion? Is it presence? Is it consciousness? What is the actual item that's been categorized?
2: Well, there are 35 different scales. Each is unique. Uh, What they have in common is that each has seven levels, which is extremely helpful in a variety of ways. For example, there's a scale of basic purposes. Every human being has one and only one of seven basic purposes. Any other purposes are subsets of those. Now, once you find your basic purpose, that makes living much easier because you rule out the other six. is not applicable to you. You can also do this to evaluate other people. For example, I, could, I know the basic purpose of every president of the United States going back as far as Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I also know the basic purpose of some presidents earlier than that because I studied them like Lincoln, Washington, and Jefferson. So when you know somebody's basic purpose, that tells you an enormous amount about the person. You know what the person is trying to do. Uh, So that's one of 35 scales. Now that scale is what I call a general scale, meaning It really only applies once. You have one basic purpose and each other person has one basic purpose. However, every human being has a level on each one of the 35 scales. So if I were to read to you the names of the scales, you would see that I've covered human phenomena very well. Would you like me to do that?
1: Yeah, sounds great. It'd be interesting. Thank you.
2: Okay. Okay. So these are the individual scales. The scale of basic purposes, the scale of personal influence, the scale of choice, the scale of permeation, the scale of thought, the scale of identity, the scale of evaluation, the scale of motivation, the scale of control, the scale of stopping, the scale of scholarship, the scale of literacy, the scale of human ability, the scale of memory, the scale of spiritual identity, the scale of mental deletion, the scale of aberration, the scale of physical fitness the scale of justification, the scale of belief, the scale of equanimity, the scale of attack, the scale of conflict, and the scale of reaction. And these are the group scales. The scale of relationships, the scale of life spheres, the scale of government, the scale of civilization, the scale of survival, the scale of management, the scale of exchange, the scale of allegiance, the scale of sexuality, and the scale of politics. Anyone one of these scales and applied by the reader would dramatically change the person's life. For example, take the scale of motivation. You could study that scale and you could find, answer the question, what is my motivation toward my spouse? What is my motivation toward my brother? What is my motivation toward my son? What is my motivation toward my mother? You see, and you can analyze all the relationships just with this one scale, but also you can use it on others. What is my boss's uh, motivation toward me? What is my next door neighbor's motivation toward me? You see? So when you find out somebody's motivation, again, that's extremely powerful information. People spend millions investigating people through uh, detective organizations, trying to find out the information that in my book you can get in
1: minutes if you know the scale. Do people generally know their own truths, their own beliefs, their own, you know, their own purposes? Because I mean, or is that not sort of buried under years of emotions, beliefs, consciousness, you know, subconsciousness, etc.? Or does this help to cut through that and ask them a more direct question?
2: Exactly, it helps to cut through it. One of the reasons that each of these scales help to cut helps cut through any confusion or ambiguity you have is that. You only have seven choices. You see, there are only seven basic motivations. So if you're trying to figure out what is my motivation toward my friend, Joe? You don't have a thousand possibilities. You only have seven. And the book is designed to wrap around the reader. In other words, when you look at each one of these scales, the data jumps off the page at you and tells you where you are. In fact, uh, usually a person who is knows the scale well can get a, respon- get a bracket in a matter of seconds. In other words, well, this guy is either two, three, or four. And then you could spend some time studying and figure out which one it is, two, three, or four. But meanwhile, in seconds, you've eliminated one, five, six, and seven. Follow me? So... In other words, I have no difficulty at all evaluating people against these 35 scales. In fact, it's almost impossible for me to not do it because we're talking about natural law. And if you let me explain how I discovered this, you'll see what I mean by natural law. I was working for many decades with hundreds of clients as a human development engineer. All of my clients improved. And I started observing that they were improving in predictable ways. And as time went on, after a while, I would know what result the client was going to get before he got it. Now, what was happening is I was seeing these people were moving up scales. And I never told this to anyone, but I made notes. So by 1995, I had about 32 scales of varying lengths. One or two of them had seven levels, but the others all had different numbers between three and six. Now I had one scale in particular that I absolutely knew axiomatically was correct. I had been using it for decades to evaluate people accurately. In 1995, I discovered a seventh level of that scale. And when I inserted that seventh level into the sixth level scale, the scale manifested mathematically. And all of these implications of it jumped out at me. Now, I have an engineering background. I took 26 semesters of math, I think, in math. So anything that is naturally occurring has mathematical implications or underpinnings to it. Now, when you read the book, you don't, know, it's not really about mathematics, you don't get that because I, I made it very user-friendly. But when I saw that scale had uh, axiomatically true data in it, in other words, it was mathematically correct, then I realized that I had found something big. And then I asked myself, I wonder, how many of these other scales that I have are actually seven level scales But I just didn't develop them all the way because that's not what I was trying to do. So because I knew what I was looking for, it was not hard for me to find the remaining levels on the other scales. And in a matter of months, I had about 32 seven-level scales. Now, in each case, when I found a seven-level scale, it manifested mathematically, which told me that I was looking at natural law. So I realized, A, this was big, B, that this would be helpful to people, and C, that this was a new subject. This is not a subset of some other pre-existing subject. In fact, that is one of the reasons that I have trouble getting this book read. Now, let me explain it this way. Most people don't read books. Of the people who do read books, most of them read fiction books. Of the people who read nonfiction books, something like 90% of them are in a slot, meaning psychologists read psychology books, mathematicians read mathematics books, historians read history books, and so on. This book does not fit into any of those slots. All of those slots fit into this book. So this is an all-encompassing analysis of human phenomena. And because every scale is unique, the implications are massive. And I also have to tell you that people have say, well, what is this like? Well, the book is not like anything that has ever been written before that I know of. But I can tell you that each of the scales is presented in what you might call a table or a spreadsheet or uh, a matrix. And in that regard, it's similar to the periodic table of elements. Now, before Mendeleev invented the periodic table, there was chemistry, but he revolutionized it by taking all the known elements, putting them on one page in correct relationship to one another. And that dramatically improved the ability to teach chemistry, the ability to learn chemistry, uh, the ability to understand the physical world. So every chemistry book and every chemistry classroom on Earth has the periodic table in whatever language the people there speak. Uh, it is undeniably true. Nobody in, in physical science questions it. That is how these scales are. They are inarguably correct. And the mathematics is what shows that. So when you look at any one of these 35 scales, it's like looking at the periodic table of elements. Now, I was a scientifically and mathematically inclined student, but the first time I saw the periodic table, it, it, it was uh, an epiphany. In other words, it changed the whole way that I saw the elements, the way I saw physical science, just that one thing. Each of these 35 scales is like that. So when the person looks at table, which expresses the scale, the data jumps into his mind. In other words, it's expressed in a way which is very clearly laid out. And if you understand the words being used, you will understand it. Now, there is a glossary for every chapter in the book. In fact, There's even a glossary for the introduction, which is the longest section of the book. So I am making it easy for people to understand this. For example, as I said a few minutes ago, there's a scale of communication, extremely powerful. That one scale alone will completely change your life because it will make you a master of communication. However, somebody could say, well, if you look up the word communication, it has about 35 definitions which definition is he using? So I give the specific definition, one line definition. So there is no ambiguity in this book. The scales are laid out and each word in every scale is defined. So it, it makes it very easy. The book is explicit in telling you how to study it, how to approach it, how to use it on yourself, how to use it on others, and so forth. Because I spent 25 years writing this book. Now, I realized that the the phenomena expressed in this book, I had been discovering earlier in the process I told you, were I was working with clients, and these data would just appear in front of me. So after I realized this was a subject, uh, I spent 25 years. Now, the phenomena, most of the phenomena had been discovered by that. I did find a few more skills. Then I had to engineer it into a practical system that would work for people. And that took some time. But the, really, the hard part was expressing it in a way that would connect with the reader. So this is an 87,000-word book. I literally went through not only multiple rewrites, but word by word, line by line, how is the reader going to interpret this? You see, this was a great challenge, because to make a comparison, Sir Isaac Newton came up with the three laws of motion. Now, they're extremely accessible because of the way he articulated them. Uh, But he had to invent calculus in order to really have this be usable. So he wrote one of the most famous books in the world called The Principia, in which he lays out, he essentially invents calculus. Now, he was not writing for the general public when he wrote that book. He was writing for scholars mathematicians and scientists, okay? And I read the book, so I know exactly what I'm talking about. As a math scholar, I was able to imbibe this uh, as somebody who loved mathematics. Uh, But this is not accessible to the general public. Similarly, when Einstein came up with his theories of relativity, the specific and the general, he presented it in a paper. The paper was read by other physicists. He was not writing it for the general public. So taking this work, which is essentially an explication of scientific, scientifically discovered phenomena, which are expressed in an engineering system that helps people, and then writing it in a way that almost anybody can understand. That was the the hardest part about this. And I know that I succeeded because I've been seeing the results of this for 26 and a half years. When I wrote the first draft of this in 1995, and I sent it out to colleagues of mine, all of whom had advanced graduate degrees, many from elite universities, uh, they were blown away by it. Nobody has ever read this book and said, "Eh, doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it or anything like that. Everybody who's ever read this book has said to me something like, this blew me away. Now, when I say that blew me away, those are not my words. I don't speak that way. But that is what people tell me who read the book. So I started after... I got that kind of feedback from these uh, elite intellectuals. I then started working on the book and giving copies to my clients, to associates of mine, other colleagues, and the results were uniformly positive. If you go to my website, septemix.com, you can see what people or readers have said about the book, and you can see what writers have written about the book, and you can see reviews of the book. And you can see it's extremely positive response. So basically, I went from helping hundreds as human development, development engineer to helping millions by creating Subtemics and p- publishing this book.
1: Wow. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing journey, right, of that discovery. and. Is, is it complete in your head? Is, is it complete the works that you are and it's, it's all those sort of parts of the wheel, if you like, are, are in place?
2: Yes and no. Uh, have you ever written a book? I have. Okay. So then you probably know that a book is never really complete in the mind of the author, yeah. right? I mean, you can take the greatest writers in the world, like Henry Kissinger. What has he written, 30 books? You know, the man's a genius. Okay, I guarantee you, if you spoke to him, he would say, well, you know, later I thought about this and I should have included that or I should have said this a different because that's the nature of the beast. So really, for creative people, this is not only for books. I mean, I've been a musician, too. I record something. I would always find other things, you know, I mean, one of the things about being a creative person, you have to know when to say, "Okay, that's it. So when I got overwhelmingly positive response for all kinds of people, not, I'm not talking about only people with college degrees, just general people, okay? People who can read English and seeing how it changed their lives. After 25 years, I said, okay, I've got 35 skills. I know they're correct. I'm going to publish it now. I mean, I'm not going to live forever. So there came a point where I said, I would better do this while I still can, you know, because any, any author is always going to have new ideas and new developments, and new ways of saying things. And every time I talk to somebody like you, you ask me questions and I have to rethink it and I get a more sophisticated understanding of it, which is one of the advantages of being a teacher. I've been involved in education from the age of three continuously on one side or the other. And so I know as a teacher, uh, students challenge you and it forces you to understand it better and express it better and understand it more deeply as you work as a teacher because you have to try to explain something. So that's what I mean. But that was the hard part of this is expressing in their way. Like I've spoken to you now for what, two, 15 minutes? I absolutely guarantee this book, you would connect with this book. I can see the type of person you are. As I said, I don't have any trouble analyzing people on these scales. I do not say what my findings are because that would be unethical. I want each person to find his own level. So what I tell all my readers is: this is a textbook on a new subject. Okay. And it is like botany or astronomy. It's a descriptive science. There's no theory of septemics. All of this was presented to me empirically. It just fell out in front of me. It's like I was walking down the street and I found a hundred dollar bill and I picked it up and put it in my pocket. So the, the thing is, if it were a billion dollar bill, then I would want to share it with other people. And that's what this septemics is like. It's, it's an earth-shaking thing that I already know helps people uh, because uh, it's been helping people for 26 years. So uh, as far as I'm concerned at this point, it's a completed subject. Now it's possible there may be other scales. In fact, I think it's probable that there are other scales that are not included in the book, but how much research do I have to do because I already know the overlap of these various scales spans the spectrum of human experience. I already know from working with it for 26 years, there's no situation that a guy's going to come up with that it, it is not going to be assisted by knowing this one. So it's, it's the original definitive text on the subject. And my mission now is to get it in the hands of as many people as possible. I wrote this book to help people. I didn't need to convince anybody of anything. I know this material. I use this material my whole life. You know, there were many times in my life when I would do things. I'm not talking about bad things or illegal things, just do things. and, And people would say, How'd you do that? How'd you get away with that? And it's because I had this understanding. Of people, like for example, the scale of communication breaks down the seven necessary elements of communication in the right sequence. And I also give drills how you can develop your skills. So I had these communication skills long before I realized this was a scale, I had these skills. So, you know, for example, one day I drove into a parking lot and some kind of a security guard came over me and said, you know, you can't park here. And I just acknowledged him. I gave him a really big acknowledgement, big smile. Okay. Thank you. And I just went and parked him in the building and nothing happened because I had that skill. And I use this all the time, all the time with people. Uh, So I did this to share it with people because I know this is a life-changing thing. And Highly intelligent people have read this and had extremely of positive things to say, which you can see on the website. So I invite your readers, go to my website, see what readers have said, see what people have written about it, see the reviews, and even portions of the book are on the website. So you can get a little taste of uh, what is going, what this is about. And then if you want to, you can invest in a book. Now, I have to tell you, it's it's hardbound, softbound, and ebook. The ebook is very expensive. You know that. Ebooks are not expensive. So for 10 bucks, you can change your whole life just by getting this book. And I was very, very careful in the 25 years I spent writing in it to make sure that you do not need anything outside this book. The book stands on its own. In other words, you don't need to join a group. You don't need to pay anybody anything. You don't need to hire anybody. You don't need to go to a facilitator or uh, a counselor or a coach or a therapist. The book by itself, if you read it and study it and follow the instructions, it's all you need. The only caveat I would say is you should have a dictionary handy. But I would say that about any book. As a a very... experienced scholar and tutor i would never tutor anybody or study anything without having a dictionary handy because if you don't understand the words you're not going to get it so when i say you should have a dictionary handy i would say that about any book you know i carried a unabridged dictionary around with me for about 14 years in my youth, I started when I was in college, carrying a dictionary. And this went for many years into my studies until I finished my formal education, which was about 14 years later. And um, so obviously I'm enthused about literacy and serious about understanding, what is this guy trying to say? And English has over 300,000 words, and nobody knows them all. The biggest problem with literacy is not words that you don't know at all. You know, like if I come up with some word like antediluvian, you might say, I don't know anything, but I don't know this word, antediluvian, you know? And so you're likely to look it up. That's not the problem. And believe me, I was a successful tutor. The problem is people who think they know what the word means and have a misconception or there may be other definitions of the word that the person does not know. So, the relevant definition, because most words have multiple definitions. So, you have to know the right definition in the usage you're reading in you know, order for the sentence to make sense to you. So, that's why I put glossaries in the book. That's why I tell everybody read it with a dictionary handy, because it is a textbook. And if you study it like a textbook, you'll get it. You know, you start on page one and you go through plottingly until you get to the end, the way you would study a chemistry book or a physics book. You don't jump around when you study a serious subject. Now, then what I recommend is go back to the beginning, read it again. And when you get to each scale, find your level on every scale, all 35 scales. And when you do that, you will dramatically improve your life. Your whole mindset will change. Your understanding of yourself will clarify. Each one of these scales is like a lens that I hold up to the relevant area. For example, there's a scale of thought. There are seven levels of thought. So when you study the scale, you come to understand thought in a much clearer way. Now, of course, thought is integral to any type of human phenomena. So that one scale alone will clarify an awful lot about who you are, how you think, how other people think. And again, the, the fact that there's only seven levels. I didn't realize this while I was writing the book. The fact that there are seven levels solves a gigantic problem. Which is the gradient problem. Most people are smart enough to say, okay, there's a situation. Not getting along with my wife, not getting along with my boss, or whatever. And the problem is they don't know what to do about it. Now, this, each of these scales tells you with precision what to do about it. Because one of the axioms of this subject is that you can never skip a level. So If you find yourself at level five, you are destined for level four if you improve. If you fail, you'll go down to level six. So because of this, it solves the gradient problem. And let me tell you what I mean by the gradient problem. Nobody can lose 100 pounds. You can lose one pound 100 times. That's why crash diets and crash exercise programs don't work. I've worked professionally as a trainer. You can't just give a guy 100 pounds and say, work out with this. That's not what a good trainer does. A good trainer says, okay, let's try this out. Let's try, let me see you curl this 20-pound weight on one arm. And you see how he does, how hard it is, how he he says, oh, this is too easy for me. Great, let's try 25. Okay, and then he'll say, okay, now, now I'm feeling it. Then you have to know how many he can do. Okay. Well, he may not be able to do 12. He may only be able to do eight. So that's how you work out a training program. Now, every good teacher, facilitator, coach, therapist in the world understands gradients. Uh, you have to have the right gradient because, for example, to continue my example of as a trainer, You want to get the guy working out in a way where he doesn't get hurt, he doesn't get discouraged, he doesn't get too too sore, but he's also feeling that he's making progress. So there's a there's a narrow band, right in the middle, that's the right gradient, and that's how all good teachers work. So, the gradients are intrinsic to these skills. Each of these levels is a gradient so you find out where you are and then you work towards the next level up which is very specific it's the same problem i articulated before let's say you want to know somebody's motivation without this book there are thousands of motivations but there are only seven basic motivations when you break it down that way you're able to analyze people's motivation pretty easily because you only have seven from which to choose, not thousands. So this works on all of the scales. There's the same pattern of it gives you the gradient. It tells you where you are and where you're gonna go. If you succeed or if you fail, you go down. And I've watched this for decades. Like when you see a person crash, he goes down multiple scales. See, his thought deteriorates, his motivations deteriorate, his permeation deteriorates, and so forth. His communication deteriorates. People crash. They crash by falling down. These, it's like falling down a flight of steps, except you're falling down many flights
1: of steps at the same time. Uh, How much or how, how do you take into account either human ego and or people's evolution? Okay, well, this book is
2: about human ego and evolution. This tells you how you will evolve. If you move up the scale of thought, for example, you are evolving. And this helps you to do that because it gives you the gradient. It gets you to find, okay, this is where I am, so I can move up to this next level. And the beauty of it is, if you get the level correct as to where you are or where the other person is, you or the other person will be able to go up one level. So, in other words, it's like a foolproof system for self-improvement. Ego. Ego is... Articulated throughout this book, you'll see when you read the scales that, like, take somebody like Gandhi, Mohandas Gandhi, right? He was, he had the highest uh, motivation, which is charity. He devoted his life to helping the people of his nation. Okay, that's the highest motivation. Or Jesus of Nazareth, same thing, charity. Uh, on on the other hand. Adolf Hitler, he, he was motivated by revenge. He wanted to get revenge on the, the countries that uh, pushed Germany into a very bad treaty. Uh, he wanted to get revenge against the Jews, who he blamed. I mean, the man was obviously a looney tune, but he was a looney tune because he was at the bottom of most of scales. Now, there are very few people, very few, who are at or near the top of all of these scales. There are comparatively more who are at or near the bottom of all these scales. So I think of people as either upscale people and downscale people. So the people who I admire are people who are high on these scales. And if you know the scales and you study the person, it's not hard, like for example, Thomas Jefferson, okay? He was very high on most of these scales. It comes right out of his mouth. When I say out of his mouth, if you read what he wrote, it's there. You can see what his motivations are, what his thought process was like, and so forth. So he was a very upscale person in the septemic sense. So when people have ego, like, for example, a narcissist, a narcissist is going to be low on most of these scales. The other thing I want to tell you is that most of us are in the middle. Okay, we're not at or near the top, and we're not at or near the bottom. However, what is undeniable from my long observation on this is that some people are high on one scale and low on another. So I would have clients come into me and I could see this. I could see, okay, this guy is very good on A, B, C, and D, but he falls down on E and F. Okay. for example. So and this is, in fact, the true I could I could cite examples. So, for example, I don't want to give the level of any living person, but Bill Clinton, for example, he was a Rhodes Scholar. He was a brilliant person. Okay, And even his opponents admit that he was a political genius. Now, maybe genius is too strong a word, but he was a highly skilled politician in the field of politics. He was highly successful. He knew what he was doing. He did his job as president pretty good. Even if you are opposed to some of his programs or ideas, still he was not he was not a, a blithering idiot like Biden. On the other hand, the man was a serial adulterer. That is a well-established fact. And in fact, and this is so much so that Hillary was in charge of handling what they call bimbo eruptions because he treated women very badly and he's been accused by some women of rape. So this is a man who, on the scale of human ability as a politician, he's at or near the top. But on the scale of sexuality, he's at or near the bottom. I'm not giving any levels. I'm just saying, he's an example, of a famous person who clearly was very good in some ways and not so good in other ways, as opposed to Hitler. Hitler was, he was at or near the bottom of almost every scale. You know, so the best thing about this book, if I had to pick one thing, is this book, if you read it and study it, can and will save you from catastrophes, disasters, bankruptcies, divorces, indictments. All kinds of horrible things can be forestalled by this book because when you study people who are at the bottom of these scales, you can spot them. When I find somebody who's at the bottom of one of these scales, he walks in the room. In three minutes, I know this guy's Way down, he's, he's a downscale person. And that tells me, I'm not going to get involved with this person. I just say, have a nice day, and I move along. Now, when I was a young person, this material didn't exist. I hadn't figured it out yet. So I made the same stupid mistakes that everybody else makes. And I got involved with people I never should have been involved with. Today, I would never make those mistakes because. My ability to analyze people uh, with this data is, is high enough that it doesn't take much for me to find out, you know, where somebody is on a specific scale or if he's generally upscale or downscale. It doesn't take much. So uh, it's extremely useful in saving you from getting involved with people you don't want to be
1: involved. in the sort of the... Unrealistic but utopian world, I mean, where, where would it take us to if we were to enact and, and you know, dutifully follow all the steps? And, and what ultimately is the, the highest place to be here, if that's the right term? Well,
2: that is an individual thing. As I said, this is designed to wrap around the person. And what I mean is, person opens to a certain scale. Let's say the scale of literacy, right? He's never seen this before. He looks at it and he says, wow, there's seven levels of literacy. Where am I? And bingo, he finds it. So he says, oh, okay. Now I see why I didn't like school. You see? And he's already realized. And then he can move himself up on the scale of literacy, one level. So it's a very individual thing. There's no generality to this. That's why there's no religion. There's no organization. It's just a book that helps people to improve themselves. Now, when you go up a level, you can then take that as your baseline and move to a higher level. And when you get to that level, you, you can use that as a baseline and move to the next higher level. So you, and eventually, you can get up to higher levels across the board. But if you, when you read the material, you'll see it tells you a lot about who you are and who other people are. And that sort of makes a big difference. For example, I talked about Gandhi, the scale of basic purposes. Okay, the highest purpose of the seven is transcendence. People like Jesus and Gandhi and Yogananda and Gautama, the goals of those people or the objectives, the basic purpose of that person was to transcend. These people are different from most of us. They're not interested in wealth. They're not interested in pleasure. They're not interested in fame. They're interested in transcendence. Now, how the person articulates that varies, because remember, this wraps around the person. If you talk to a Christian who's at that level, he'll say, uh, he wants to go to heaven. He wants to be uh, become an angel in heaven. Okay. If you talk to a Buddhist, he'll say he wants to attain nirvana. Okay. Now they're both people who are who uh, whose objective is to transcend, which I call a saint, because that's a convenient way to designate this level. So a saint is going to read this book very differently. From, for example, Hitler, he's at the lowest level. His basic objective is to destroy. If you study the man carefully, and there are thousands of books about him, videos, all kinds of things, it's not hard to see how destructive he was. He was not only destructive to the people he was fighting in World War II, he was destructive to all kinds, he was destructive to his own cause, to his own army, to his own nation. I mean, he did crazy destructive things if he were not destructive he could have won that war he had the allies beaten and he allowed them to get away at dunkirk if he had just advanced his troops forward he could have captured the whole expeditionary force of the british and the british eventually would have surrendered which by the way is what he wanted He did not hate the British. He did not want to fight the British. So remember, he did not declare war against them. The British declared war against Germany. And so he had to fight them. But he made preposterously destructive actions. He had a non-aggression pact with the Russians. And he violated it unilaterally by attacking them. That's probably the biggest mistake anybody made made in the history of military science, something that I've been studying since I was a teenager. Uh, he didn't have to do that; he was destructive. He was not only destructive to the Soviets, he was destructive to himself by doing that his His generals knew that was a stupid thing, but he wouldn't listen to them. You know why? Because it was destructive so If you, those are two opposites. You know, you get people like Hitler and Pol Pot who are destructive. And then you get people like Gandhi and Jesus who are transcendent. And well, then there are all the five levels that are in between. And when you find your level on that scale, it is an eye-opener, I guarantee. Because you say, oh, okay, now I understand. So when I observe people, I'm very, very rarely surprised by anything that anyone does. For example, I know the basic, I told you, I know the basic purpose of all the presidents. It's not hard to get. They tell you. So once you understand basic purpose, like Donald Trump, you know, I'm not going to give an opinion. I'm just going to say, I understand him very well. Nothing that he does surprises me. Perfectly manifests a certain level on the scale of basic purposes, and therefore I understand him. So the result of this is I rarely get upset because you get upset when something happens that you didn't anticipate. You know, like you, know, you marry a girl, she says love, honor, and obey, so that was part, and then she runs around with some other guy. Well, at some point. That's a shock, right? You didn't didn't expect that. At least the first time, you didn't expect it. So it's upsetting to you. I could look at people on the scale of sexuality and see where they are. So when they behave like that, I'm not surprised. So I don't get upset. So somebody like Vito Genovese, who's the head of one of the five mafia crime families of New York, He was a psychopathic murderer. So he's easy for me to understand. There's there's no incomprehension. Now, many people have difficulty accepting some of this data because it exceeds their reality. For example, I told you about the seventh level that I discovered in 1995 of a six-level scale. The reason it took so long to discover that is it makes no sense at all. The fifth level on the scale of basic purposes is the purpose to suffer. There are people whose objective is to suffer. They make themselves suffer. We would describe these people as self-destructive. They sabotage themselves. Once you know this about a person, you'll see them sabotaging themselves. There's nothing you can do. And as I point out in the book, if you give the person 58 hours, Uh, fifty thousand dollars. They'll blow it in Vegas. You give him a house, he'll burn it down. If you give him a car, he'll crash it. You know, this is one way or another. This person is going to destroy himself with drugs, with alcohol, by eating himself to death, by being around terrible relationships. You know that that these people wind up in jail or in an insane asylum or homeless on the street or something like that because that person's objective is to suffer. Now, to the rest of us, that makes no sense at all. So it's hard for rational people to understand that there are a lot of people who intend to suffer. Once you understand that, it's very easy to observe these people and you're not not surprised. You know, you look at the person, you see a guy, you know, uh, his parents put him through college, And then he winds up becoming a drug addict, because his purpose is to suffer. So it's it's not hard to locate people on these scales, and it's not hard to understand the scale. I made it accessible to the average person. Now, let me explain why this is significant. The data in this book are vital for every human being, because it can help you to achieve your goals faster and easier, by explaining what might otherwise seem to be inexplicable or random. If someone were to invite you to a rendezvous, you would certainly expect them to tell you the exact location and perhaps how to get there. Needless to say, it's difficult to get somewhere if you don't know where you are, don't know where you're going, and don't know how to get to your destination. Now, this sounds idiotic, but most people do this all the time so much so that it's considered normal. For example, as a young man when I started driving before GPS units were in common usage, I would call up people and, you know, and say, well, "How do I get there? How do I get to your location?" to your And I was surprised to find that a lot of people did not know geographically precisely where they were. And so the what they would give me would usually do more harm than good because they didn't know what they were talking about and now I learned to ask just for an address which many people couldn't give okay what is the address weaver i don't know so if this is true with physical locations it's even more so with conceptual locations because they're abstract so this is a great facilitator of self-knowledge, which leads to success. And that's why I spent 25 years writing this, to get into the hands of people who wanna get better, who want to improve their lives. Now you might say, well, everybody wants that. No, that's not true. People who are at levels five, six, and seven on the scale of basic purposes, absolutely are not interested in self-improvement. That's not what they're about. First of all, they wouldn't read this book. If they did read the book, they wouldn't understand it. And if they understood it, they wouldn't use it. So they're not about self-improvement. My calculations are that about 57% of the human race wants to improve oneself or one's life. Uh, now, there are one and a half billion people who speak English. Probably. Something like a billion people are capable of reading this book. And 57% of those people will get benefit from it. So we're talking about a lot of people. We're talking about 570 million people who would benefit from this book. Now, I already know from 26 years of observation that anyone who mastered this book will have an impact on society because necessarily, going to keep it to him. So if he's going to use it. So for example, let's say some guy reads the book, right? He has a son. The son's having trouble in school. There is a scale of scholarship. He can help his son by locating him on the scale of scholarship and then getting him to move up one level at a time. So he's going to use it. Take romance. Who does not have relationship problems? I don't know anybody. There are at least four scales in this book that directly impact relationships. There's a scale of relationships. There's a scale of sexuality. There's a scale of allegiance. There's a scale of permeation. Permeation is the basic action of a spiritual being. It is the thing that causes love. When two people love one another, they're permeating one another very much. When two people hate one another, they're not permeating one another at all. If you hate somebody, you don't want him around. You don't want to permeate him. You want him as far away as possible. But when you love somebody, like if a guy loves his wife, he wants her around. He wants to take her on vacation with him. He doesn't want to get away from her. He's permeating her. Okay? So any one of these four scales could be a starting point. Someone to sort out their relationship difficulties. And I'm just picking this off the top of my head. Okay, so they're, they're like, for example, anytime a relationship deteriorates, it's because one or more of the persons has gone down the scale of allegiance. This is powerful stuff. You can spot somebody on the scale of allegiance and you can say, ah, okay, is this person worth saving? This person who's at level six on the scale of allegiance? Or should I just cut my losses and move on? Because, you know, very often people get into bad relationships. They find out the person is not the person they thought, or the person changes or the person turns out to be a drunk or something. And you can analyze it with these scales, And it will tell you with clarity, okay, this is not a person I should be around. So it's easy for the person to move on. How many people get into bad relationships and stay in them? It's a common problem. I've had clients who did that. So just that one area alone, those four skills, you could start at any one of those four and find out where you are, find out where your spouse is or your mate or your girlfriend or whatever. And you can work from there. And this will start to unravel very quickly. Now it may unravel in the direction of the two of you falling in love and getting married. Or it might unravel in the direction of saying, this person is not for me. I don't want to know this person. Either way, it clarifies your position. It enhances your life. It gets you to achieve your goals faster and easier by explaining what might otherwise seem to be inexplicable already.
1: Where where do you sit on nature versus nurture? How much of this have we picked up and how much of it have we been born with?
2: Well, first of all, I do make the point in the book several times that successful people know bits and pieces of these scales. Just as I knew bits and pieces of these scales before I wrote the book. Because I was an educated person working with people and I observed certain phenomena. So there are people who know bits and pieces of these and use it to their advantage. What they don't know is A, that this is a separate subject, B, that this is natural law. The, these scales are true in the same way that the Pythagorean theorem is true. The Pythagorean theorem is not open to interpretation or opinion. It is provably true, okay? As a mathematician, I use it all the time and it always worked. So Pythagoras, most people don't realize what a great genius Pythagoras was. He he was a polymath genius in his day. And so we only know him as this one mathematical formula he passed down to us. But before he discovered it and presented it, it was true. And in fact, the Pythagorean theorem was true before Earth existed, and it will still be true after Earth no longer exists, because it's built into the fabric of the universe just like the theory of relativity. It's part of the fabric of the universe. So these skills are inherent human beings. That is why I realized it was a subject. And that's why I spent 25 years writing the book. Because when you are dealing with something that is inarguable, you can rely on it. You have to realize that I am an engineer. And when they gave me tests as a young person, as to what field I should be in. It came out a list of engineering, types of engineering. Mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, chemical engineering, civil. That's what came in, which was funny because I was already accepted at the age of 16 into an engineering school. So I guess I knew about myself a little bit. So what I'm telling you is I went to an engineering school. We had our own building. There were 2,000 students there. we were all very much the same. So uh, if you know engineers, they, they, there's like an engineering personality. Engineers are not interested in opinions or beliefs. They just don't. They throw it away. They ignore it. They're interested in facts and results. So as an engineer, I was interested in creating a system that worked. And I spent a lot of time verifying this now think about this there's 35 scales each of them has seven levels that's 245 different levels each of which had to be verified and cross-referenced and researched that's a lot of work and knowing what the levels were is different from expressing them in a way that makes sense to people for example on the scale of sexuality Level two is called take it or leave it. And the reason I call it take it or leave it is it describes it perfectly. There are people, very upscale people, who have a take it or leave it attitude towards sex. They can take it or they can leave it. I mean, it's not important to them to have it, and it's not important to them to not have it. Okay? That's their level, take it or leave it. So that's why I called it take it or leave it. It tells you exactly what it means. Now, I could have called it something more abstruse or more elegant or more literary or something, but that's not my purpose. My purpose is to create a system that would communicate to people. So it's not hard to understand these scales if you know the meanings of the words and I give you the glossary to tell you the meanings of the words. So it's a a workable system. So the results are going to be different on everybody because everybody is unique. That's something that is axiomatically true. Uh, I know from working with hundreds of clients for many decades, every person is unique. Uh, And so everybody will approach this slightly differently. But as I said, the scale wraps around the person. And the more you understand the subject, the more the scales will wrap around you. In other words, you might, there might be a scale, like the scale of permeation. Permeation is kind of something that a lot of people don't understand. What is permeation? Well, I define it. But most people don't know that the basic action of a spiritual being is permeation. So this, that scale might not work for them right away. But they might turn the page and they get to, oh, the scale of personal influence. Okay, I understand personal influence, you see? And that scale will wrap around the person. So then, when he sees how that scale works for him, he can then go back to the scale of permeation and say, okay, now I see what he's talking about here. So, one of the actions of the subject is that being high on any, being at at or near the top of any scale is both a cause and an effect of being at or near the top of any other scale. And being at or near the bottom of any scale is both a cause and an effect of being at or near the bottom of any other scale, which is why you have generally upscale people and generally downscale people.
1: How then, curious in terms of Likes of say mental health, where does that mm-hmm. come from? Because okay, that's a self-distortion. If that's if I understood that correctly, yes. I'm just curious how, how to apply that.
2: Okay, so there's a couple of answers to that. First of all, I want to say this book is not a substitute for a psychotherapist or a facilitator or a counselor. There are people. I used to be one of those people. Am retired from that now, but who have a high ability to help people. They have some kind of technology, some kind of system, some erudition by which they can help people who come to them, who genuinely want help. This is not a substitute for that. I also want to say, if a person is diagnosably mentally ill, he's going to have trouble using this book, but he's going to have trouble using every other system too. See, if a guy is clinically depressed, He needs to do something about that. He needs to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something to address that or maybe get on some kind of medication temporarily. Okay? So he's not going to be able to use this book. It's just like, I could make the best baseball glove in the world, but if I give it to a guy who has two broken hands, it doesn't do any, any good. He can't use it. So, uh, People who are in that kind of a state, they are at or near the bottom of many of these scales. Uh, for example, if you know somebody like that, if you have a family member or a friend who's mentally ill, you, when you read this, you'll say, ah, oh, I see this guy is, he's at level six on this scale. So, and it goes across you know, another scale, you'll find it maybe at level seven. So. Uh, The other thing I want to say is there is a scale called the scale of aberration, which tells how mental illness develops. So it goes from the highest level is one. And then it goes down to two and it goes all the way down to seven. And when you get to seven, ding dong, here comes the wagon with the men with the white coats. So there's another one, uh, like that this is another scale that is helpful in that same sense so yes this is helpful but it's not going to be it's not a substitute for some kind of treatment for somebody who has who's crazy now you may have heard it is a well-known fact in the mental health community that sociopaths and psychopaths Do not improve in psychotherapy. That is because they are at the bottom of these scales. They're too far down to get help, no matter how good the therapist is. Now, most uh, smart psychotherapists know this and know better than to take on somebody like that because he's not going to be helped. The other thing is, people like that are not usually reaching for help anyway. You know, there was a famous movie uh, about that. Uh, De Niro played a mafioso who went to a psychiatrist played by Billy Crystal. Uh, Well, it's preposterous. Okay? That's that's not going to happen. Or The Sopranos. The whole premise of The Sopranos was that this professional criminal goes to a therapist. Now... I know for a fact, because there are former mafia people who have stated this unequivocally on video, if anybody were to do that, he would turn up dead in somebody's trunk next week. So it's preposterous. Now, there are some people in organizations like that who are not psychopaths or sociopaths. Uh, They got in for odd reasons, because their father was in it or something like that. Uh, and a lot, a lot of those people get out of it. So they realize at some point, I shouldn't be doing this, and they get out of it. There are some famous people who you can find online like that. Uh, so notice, I don't call this hierarchies of human behavior. I call it hierarchies of human phenomena. Psychology is defined as the study of behavior. This subject is much bigger than the study of human behavior. For example, there's a scale of civilization which tells you how civilizations develop. And it also tells you what kind of a person you're dealing with because a person will manifest one or another of those levels downscale people will be at the bottom of that scale and upscale people will be at the top of that scale. You know, uh, Plato wrote a book called Plato's Republic, his most famous work, still read by thousands of people. Uh, His theory was that society should be ruled by philosophers. Now, the word philosopher in his day had a different meaning from the, the meaning it has today. So the philosophers of Plato's age were brilliant people like Socrates, who were not philosophers we find today, who are, have a very narrow purview. But the scale of civilization, the highest level of it is philosophy. And as I explained in that chapter, you can tell how high or low a civilization is by how it manifests. Civilizations where there's a lot of activity at level one, philosophy, two, religion, three, law. Those are high levels of, those are high civilizations. The lowest level on the scale of civilization is business. You have money-motivated people. All they care about is business. Well, a society that is money-motivated is a very low-level society. So it can help you to spot a person. It can help you to spot a civilization. And that's well beyond the study of human behavior. It's, It's much bigger. Or the scale of permeation. We're talking about... Something that a spiritual being does. Now, there are people who say there is no such thing as a spiritual being. And as I point out in that chapter, they're not going to understand that chapter. I'm talking about something, the existence of which they deny. There's a scale of spiritual identity. Same thing. Very low tone people who deny the existence of spiritual phenomena. They're not going to get that scale. It's not going to make any sense to them. So I feel sorry for those people. But the scales are what they are. I know these scales are correct. Now, you may want to quibble with me about how I articulated them or how I described them. You might say, well, you should have called this level this this thing instead of that thing. That's a good point. For example, The objective of the leader, which is the second highest basic purpose, is conquest. Well, a lot of people have a negative view of conquest. So I have to explain. It's a question of whose ox is being gored. When the Allies defeated the Axis powers in World War II, that was a good conquest. Even for the people in Japan and Italy and Germany, it was a good conquest. Look at how Germany and Italy blossomed after World War II and became thriving, successful, progressive nations. So, maybe that's not the best word. Maybe there's another word, but it doesn't change the phenomenon that somebody who is at level two is a leader, like Abe Lincoln and Winston Churchill. They were at level two. Churchill, was devoted to conquering the Nazis. He did not want to make peace with them. He wanted to defeat them. He saw that they were evil and they had to be defeated. And he succeeded. Similarly, Lincoln wanted to conquer the Confederacy. He had very little support. His generals wouldn't fight until he found an obscure general named Grant. Cabinet wasn't behind him. Uh, He had a very tough time. He had to do that almost by himself until he found a few people who would fight. Well, he achieved what at the time was by most people considered impossible, meaning he preserved the Union and he ended slavery. Now, a lot of people thought, well, you can do one when you can't. but not both, one or the other. So most people thought, well, if we're gonna preserve the union, we have to, we're gonna to have to live with slavery. Uh, well, he proved them all wrong because not only did he defeat them, he pushed through the 13th amendment. It was Lincoln behind the members of Congress, pushing through the 13th amendment to amend the American constitution to, make, to prohibit slavery. So not only did he end it, he made it so that it could never exist again in America. So this is what you get from a leader. Most leaders have terrible lives. Lincoln is a perfect example. He had a terrible life, but he was an extraordinary person who achieved great things because he was a leader. So if he read this book, he's going to read it very differently from the way some other guy is going to read it. because. It's about you in this book, you're studying yourself. And since you are unique, the way you imbibe this is going to be personal to you.
1: One in particular, I know, obviously, you've mentioned a couple of characters there, but is, is there some people in particular you've always just found fascinating or that they, they, they really sort of look at the extremes or they, they, they envelop this and demonstrate this in the best way?
2: Well, of course, as a, a serious scholar, I've studied a lot, and I found a lot of fascinating people. I mean, I sometimes will find somebody who I, who I agree with, but I can't stand. And then there are other people who I disagree with completely, but I like them. So, you know, there are people, scholars who I'll listen to, who I completely disagree with, but still they're intelligent people. So... People are complex, and that's why there has to be 35 scales to define them. Now, are there any more scales? Probably. I don't know. Uh, As I said, I worked on this for 25 years. There were some scales I found late in the game. Uh, There probably are some other scales that aren't in the book. Maybe somebody someday will discover those. But... I don't know that that's necessary because the overlap of these 35 scales is so deep that you have a vast wealth of information here that you can use to analyze your way out of anything. So you can use it to analyze human phenomena so that then you can predict what's going to happen. And as a result of that, you can manage it very well. So uh, I have often said, If the people of Germany had this book in 1933, the Nazis never would have come to power because they would have seen Hitler for what he was. And so would he have gotten some votes? Of course. You know who would have voted for him? Psychopaths, sociopaths, uh, criminals, corrupt people, crazy people, demented people, they would have voted for him. But that's not enough to get 37 percent of the electorate, which is what the Nazis got in 1933, which brought them to power because it was a plurality. So this book could have saved the world from terrible horrors. And it's not only about Hitler, it's a lot of other people, too. I mean, if the Romans had this book, they never would have allowed Nero to come to power. They never would have allowed communists to come to power. You know, these people were looney tunes. Caligula, they never would have allowed it. Now, uh, some of these people were murdered because people eventually realized these people are crazy and they're doing terrible things and we have to get rid of them. So they were murdered by their own people. Uh, Just as the members of the Senate murdered Caesar. So the point is these people come to power because people do not understand what they're looking at. And I'll give you a historical example. You know, Obama, when he started running for president, was unknown to most Americans. He had only been in the Senate for two years. Now, the people in his state who elected like him senator, they knew who he was. But there's 49 other states. So the rest of us who not from Illinois, had to pay attention. Who is this guy? So I did exactly that. I paid attention. I listened to him, and I had no difficulty spotting him on some of these scales. I'm not going to tell you what I spotted. I'm just going to say I intentionally paid attention to him, knowing this data, and was able to analyze.
1: And after that, nothing did surprise me. You, I mean, what's what's our current state of the a mass classification here but what state as a human race are we at here are are we evolving Or you know because i mean you've mentioned a lot of scholars from many years gone by and it's almost like we're only now starting to understand what they were talking about a hell of a long time ago so it's like i'm kind of asking the question saying are we we're certainly more connected today but you know, does that mean we're, we're better off, we're wiser? I mean, what's, what's your view on the human race right now? Well, this has nothing to do with septemics, but one of
2: the things I learned from a lifetime of education across many subjects is that the human race can, let me put it this way, human society continually changes, but rarely improves. And I'll give you an example. So we have solved many health problems. Uh, When this country was started, the average life expectancy was about 35 years. Now it's like 85 years. So because of medical science we've solved, most people don't die of heart attacks early. You know, there's all kinds of diseases. Whole classes of diseases that we wiped out, uh, which enable people to live. Uh, so now we have an epidemic of dementia and Alzheimer's. We have tens of millions or more old people who can't take care of themselves. They can't think. They can't make a decision. They, get, they can't drive because they don't know where they are. So we created another problem. Now, will that problem be solved? Maybe. But I'm just giving an example of how when you solve one problem, you very often create another problem. And that's pretty much the history of human society.
1: Well, we've essentially doubled the life spans. I mean, by very nature, I think, have, have, we, have we improved the situation? We've certainly elongated the...
2: What I can say with with specificity is that physical technology, meaning the sciences, engineering, STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, the STEM subjects have advanced tremendously and continue to advance. I mean, there are things coming down the road. I don't know how much of this you know. Uh, there are things coming now that are just rapidly changing society. The question is, is it it an improvement? That's a matter of opinion. What I can tell you is this. uh, In the United States, for example, where I lived most of my life, uh, two generations ago, people were much more polite, much better dressed, uh, much more uh, morally sensitive, uh, much better spoken. I mean, there's all kinds of cultural things in the United States that have uh, cycled down. For example, one of the one of the points I make in the book is: two generations ago, professional speakers, and I named them. Like, I don't know if you've heard of these people. These are prominent people: John John Charles Ailey. Uh, John Cameron Swayze, Steve Allen, Harry Zell, professional speakers, they all spoke perfect English. You can't even find people like that now. You can go on the media from show to show to show. There's nobody out there who speaks perfect English. You take the, the most Famous, the most popular, the most successful people in media, none of them speak perfect English. Now, two generations ago in America, that was expected if you're going to take a job. Uh, So, if you were an announcer, for example, Ed McMahon was on The Tonight Show for 30 years, he spoke, he studied speech in college. Okay, he spoke perfect English. There was never any incorrect grammar. He never mispronounced anything. That's obsolete now. There's almost nobody like that. So you want to say we advanced? Well, in some ways we advanced, in some ways we didn't advance. It's a very individual thing. So my object with this book is to get this in the hands of people want to improve themselves in their lives. And as they do, they will have an impact. Because anybody who knows this book can help 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people easily just by knowing this book and applying it. You know, like if a guy's secretary comes in crying in tears one day, and he says, what's wrong? She tells him. He'll say, you know, I understand what's going on. Sit down. And he opens up the book. And he says, where are you on this scale? And she says, oh, I'm here on number four. Then she stops crying. And he says, okay, let's move you up to number three. So this is a very user-friendly system. What have you learned about yourself? Well, I mean, there's not enough time for me to tell what I learned about myself. But I should tell you that I've been meditating my entire adult life. And I meditate every day for about an hour. Now, there were many, many, many times when I would meditate for a lot more than an hour when I had the opportunity, when I had the time. Uh, So obviously, I've learned a lot about myself. And I was pushing myself up these scales before I knew about septemics. Now, in retrospect, I can see, oh, I see, I pushed myself from this level up to this level. Or times when things went badly, I could see that I fell down these levels. And of course, some of it I understood, depending on what time of my life you're talking about. Well, I've learned an awful lot, but I do not give the level of any living person. I don't think it's ethical. It doesn't help people. You want the person to figure it out himself. I have seen this. My whole career as human development engineer was using Socratic dialogue. If you read the dialogues of Socrates, which were written by Plato, by the way, uh, Socrates would have a dialogue. Sometimes there's more than one person involved, Uh, but he would bring this person to a higher level of understanding. In some cases, that higher level of understanding was coming to realize that things that the guy took for granted (coughs) were not correct. So that was sort of what I did, except I used biofeedback, which was, was very helpful. It, it made things faster and easier. And in working with people, I, I, I learned a lot about people, including about people in general. And that's how I discovered this material. It just presented itself. So then as an engineer, I thought, well, I have a duty to make something workable out of this. And so I spent 25 years making it idiot-proof or foolproof. Uh, now, of course, a true idiot is not going to be able to read. But there are plenty of people who can read that act like idiots. So it's for the 57% of us who want to improve ourselves who can read
1: English when you mention, you know, about this, meditating, because I mean, it almost sounds like I don't know there's two, there's two lines of thought there, so there's the meditation side, there's the, let's call them soft science side, you know, the psychology side of it, and then you get the mathematics the hard, the numbers, etc and That's right. it, it's it sounds very complimentary when you talk about it but actually, you know, in some ways you're saying are they not they are opposing, but they're, they're different, completely different skill sets. Yet you've bridged the two. And in fact, you've seen commonality between the two. Have, have I picked that up correctly? That's right. I was always like that. Uh,
2: when I was, by the time I was like 13, 14, 15, I had separate sets of friends. I had one set of friends with whom I would attend science and math lectures. I had another set of friends with whom I played football and baseball. I had another set of friends with whom I would go to poetry readings and plays. And my whole life was like that. I had another set of people who were into music. So none of these people liked one another, and they did not interact with one another, and they did not get along. But I got along with all of them. Uh, So what I realized very late in life, in retrospect, is that I was a born polymath. I have no memory of a time when I was not intensely interested in learning everything that's taught in every university. Now, of course that's impossible because nobody lives that long. Uh, If I live uh, to be 100, I still will not put a dent in it. There's just too much to learn. I mean, I kind of know four languages reasonably well. How many languages are there? A couple of hundred? So, you know, do I have five years to take out to master German? German is not an easy language to learn. The grammar is very difficult. So, but that's what I was. I was shocked at the age of 10 to find out that some kids didn't like school. That was news to me. And when I found that out, I th- that kind of explained some things to me. You know, before that, I just looked at some kids and shook my head. But then I realized I don't like school. I mean, I I I loved school. I didn't love all my teachers because no matter what you do, you're always going to get a few clunkers in any field. It's, you know, so there are some teachers I didn't get along with. Obviously, that was not wonderful, but I still loved learning, and I still loved school generally. And I had the good fortune of going to very good schools, where the generally the teachers were good. Uh, in particular, I studied with the Society of Jesus for four years, and they are world famous for their results in education. A Jesuit education has been known for centuries as being a very special thing. And I had one. So I'm beholden to those men for teaching me as well as they did. I'm not saying it was easy. It wasn't always fun. But you learned. I mean, I went to a school where if you you did a little something wrong, they just kicked you out. So the kids in this school wanted to be there and deserved to be there. You had to take a test to get into that school. So I was in there with all these other kids, just like me, who loved to learn, who were serious students. So the idea of not doing my homework, that never crossed my mind, you know. This is just not who I was. I, you know, they told me the first day of school when I was, I guess, five. All right, do your homework when you go home. Okay, and I went home that first day and I did my homework. And I just kept doing that for the rest of my life. You know, that's how I was. So, yes, I, there's a whole section in the introduction where I discuss this, this subject. Because it gets into the question of uh, a belief. In other words, there are some people who say there's no, there's no objective knowledge. that everything is subjective. And if it's subjective, it's a belief. And if you wanna argue that chemistry and physics and mathematics are beliefs, okay, I won't argue with that. Uh, But the way I address it is that there's a spectrum where you have more objective subjects like math and physics and chemistry on one hand, and you have more subjective subjects like literature And philosophy, on the other hand, and there's sort of a gradient in between. So you know, I mean, if you're in economics, you're not you're not as far extreme as chemistry. You're a little bit toward the other way. So there's this, you know, the spectrum, and to me, it's all beautiful.
1: Can I ask? I mean, you classify yourself as. Spiritual, religious, where, where do you set yourself? That's almost. Well, let a... me
2: say this. One of my areas of expertise is theology. Uh, I am an expert in theology. Uh, now, having said that, I wish what I should also say I'm not a big fan of religion. Because, for example, I understand Christianity better than those Christians, uh, better than many clergy, because I studied it in a scholarly way for many years. Uh, However, if you look at the history of Christianity, it's full of atrocities. The Crusades, the selling of indulgences, the pedophile scandal. The inquisitions. Now, I would say the people who did those things are not Christians. They're what I would call phony Christians or deluded Christians. So that's why, you know, the trouble with, see, a religion is very much like a government, except it's set up, instead of being set up on a geographic limit, it's set on a philosophic limit. So Christianity has certain limits. You know, and within you have these various sects. Uh, and if you move toward the center of it, there's some agreement. And, you know, and as you go further out, there's some disagreement. The same thing with how many sects of Hinduism are there? How many sects of Buddhism are there? They're innumerable. I mean, you have, in Islam, you have the Shi'as and the Sunnis, who are still killing one another to this day. So I would say that uh, I'm a spiritually aware person, uh, but I'm not enthusiastically religious. So I think of it this way. I am not a member of any group on earth, political, religious, cultural, or anything else. I'm just a guy who wrote a book. That's it. And the reason for that is all those years when I was working for hundreds of clients, some of them I worked for for hundreds of hours, individual clients for hundreds of hours. My devotion was to the client and nothing else. And that is why I got such good results. I was not there with any dogma. I was not there having anybody tell me what to do, what not to do. <clears throat> I was there to help a client. And because I was uh, devoted to the client, I got uniformly good results. And most people, when they join a sect or a church or a religion or a political party or a university, they come under the thumb. Of whatever that is. So the world is full of corrupt organizations. And I dare say any organization that has more than 100 people, that has been around for more than 10 years, is corrupt. That is the history of the world. I've been studying this since I was a boy. And because what happens is, you have something started by a genius. Like take Apple, was started by Steve Jobs. In his own nutty way, he was kind of a genius. And he created this magnificent company, Apple. We know Apple has deteriorated in recent years. Sales of iPhone is flat. The customer service is nowhere as good as it used to be. You know, if you would call up Apple, 10 years ago, people on the phone were pretty sharp. Now, not like that anymore. That happens with everything. No matter where you go, that happens. If you look at the founding fathers of the United States, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Franklin, Madison, they were geniuses in their own sphere. They were extraordinary men. To one of the rare times in history when you had a bunch of brilliant men all came together to do something good. Now look at how the United States has deteriorated into what it is now. It is now a disgusting, repulsive, corrupt, loathsome, dysfunctional place. I'm not saying all the people are like that. But the president is a senile, littering idiot. He should be sitting in a wheelchair, being rolled around by his nurse. He shouldn't be president. But that's what the political system has deteriorated into. You know, anybody like Lincoln or Madison or Hamilton they would get nowhere. First of all, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with American politics today. They would be disgusted by it. And if they made an attempt, they would be attacked viciously and passed over. So that is the story of human society. It's a sad story. Uh, I invite you to read a couple hundred books on the subject if you're interested, as I did. And you'll see what I'm talking about. And this book was created to undercut that. You see, the general public, the government's not going to help them, the churches are not going to help them, the universities are not going to help them, the NGOs are not going to help them, the corporations are not going to help them. They're all corrupt. Although there are good people in all these places. But this book. You don't need them. All you need is this book and maybe a dictionary. That's why I spent 25 years creating this. To undercut all of that. Because I guarantee you, no matter what you're interested in, career, politics, romance, finances, health, or anything else, this book addresses it. Not directly, but indirectly, because... When you see the scales, you'll see they are they're like the Pythagorean theorem. Once you get it, you see it works. It's a, a part of natural law. And because of that, it's useful. And that's what I'm about. Are you clear on your purpose? Pardon me?
1: Are you clear on your purpose?
2: Yeah, purpose? my purpose is to get this book is to get this book into the hands of as many people as possible.. As that. And I'll tell you, if I make a million dollars from this book, if I make 10 million dollars from this book, it still will work out to minimum wage. Because I put 25 years into this book. And you have to realize, before I started writing it, I was doing research, and I was finding these phenomena. Which eventually, collected, made me realize there's a subject here. But even if you just look at the 25 years that I spent, plus all the time that I'm spending now. I mean, I've done over 60 interviews and I'm on my way to doing hundreds. So, well, this is time consuming and I don't get anything out of it. The only thing I I might get out of it is the satisfaction of knowing that I help people. That was always important to me. I've done something that could be described as charitable work my whole life since I was a boy. Uh, And I still do it.
1: And uh, that's just how I am. What's, if you're trying to describe or summarize your fire in your belly, Jim, what would you describe it as in one or two words?
2: Well, I would say there's more than one fire. My fire for myself is spiritual. Uh, and I could articulate it in Buddhist terms, in Hindu terms, in Jain, Jainist terms, in Christian terms. It all amounts to the same thing to me. So that's what's important to me. I guess you could say, uh, you know, in common parlance, that when I die, I will rest in peace. Very often I do things. Because, and people really don't understand this. I do think because I don't want to miss an opportunity to help somebody. I don't want want to get to heaven and have St. Peter say to me, why didn't you tell him? You know, I've had things like that happen to me in my life. Not many, but a few. And, you know, what do you say? You know, so very often I've had a variety of people who I offered help to them. And they didn't take it. But my conscience is clear. I offered. Many people did accept my help. And so I helped hundreds and hundreds of people. Well, that's what resolving your karma is about. It's good karma if you want to put it in Hindu terms. So that's what I'm about as an individual. Uh, as regards septemics, I am about making a positive impact on human society. Because uh, I made a discovery, I created a system, and I know that it works. And so, if that, you know, I'm one of those people who believe that virtue is its own reward. I don't know if you've ever heard that, cliche. You ever heard that? Oh, it's, it's an old adage. Virtue is its own reward. And very often people don't understand why I do things. Um, you know, for example, I don't use drugs, alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, sugar, junk food, nothing like that at all. And there are people who do those things and they don't understand. Well, to me, virtue is its own reward. It's just like, you know, I've had times when I got mad at somebody and wanted to punch them in the nose, but I didn't do it because virtue is its own reward. So, uh, you know, on a positive sense, I feel that there is some virtue in getting people to use this book. They can buy it inexpensively, and some smart guy out there was watching this presentation spend 10 bucks on this ebook and dramatically improve his life I'll never know him I'll never meet him I'll never know his name Uh, but that's okay because it's not about
1: me Well, you've got one reader here anyway that's for sure very very curious about it thank you very quickly what's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you Jim a guilty pleasure? Yeah.
2: Uh, well, I don't know that I have any guilty pleasures. I have pleasures. For example, uh, it's summertime now and I'm swimming three days a week. I swim a half a mile three times a week. It's tremendous aerobic exercise. So do I enjoy that? Yeah, I'm a good swimmer. I enjoy, I have a very nice pool that I go to. You know, so I enjoy that. Uh, there's nothing guilty in it. So, you know, it's like I eat a very narrow diet. I eat a very strict diet. Most people don't understand that. Um, it's not that I don't like champagne. I just don't think it's helpful. So I don't drink it. So that's kind of how I am with everything, you know. Um, So I don't have any guilty pleasures. You know, I was in a doctor's office a year or two ago and I got on a discussion like this. Because, you know, doctors want to know what you eat and everything. And so the nurse said to me, do you ever cheat? I said, no. She said, well, how do you do that? I said, I don't know. I know what I'm supposed to eat and that's what I eat. You know, like like I have a big salad, fresh salad every day. Take some work go shopping, you got to make the salad, you know, but it's very helpful and I enjoy it. So, I'm sorry to disappoint you. You know, I've had kind of a lifetime like that. Like, I used to be a runner. I ran over 30,000 miles in my career. And I would, you know, be out there running my five miles and there would actually be hecklers. Hecklers. You know, like guys sitting there drinking beer. heckling. And I was literally running circles around. So, you know, did I enjoy running? Yes, I enjoyed it. You know, they talk about the runner's high. Uh, I liked what it did for my health, which was positive. I liked how I felt after I did it. And I liked it when I was doing it. So there was no downside to it other than it did put some strain on my joints which is why I no longer run, now I swim. Uh, So, you know, the body doesn't last forever. It wears out no matter what you do. But I had the very good uh, benefit of uh, having some very good teachers who more than teaching me specific things taught me sort of how to look at life and how to approach things. And how to be a person who will, uh, who has a clear conscience. So that's very important to me. See, like, if somebody, it's not, it's not like I don't like chocolate. But I wouldn't eat it because if I ate it, I would feel guilty because it's not good for you. So you, I really wouldn't enjoy it anyway. You know, the, the moral component of it is too powerful in me to allow me to eat it, which I guess is a good thing. I mean, it works for me. So I don't tell other people what to do. But I am the only person I know who has no vices. I don't know, you know, what that amounts to or who that's important or that means anything, but it is a fact. Uh, it is somewhat of a problem. Because people who drink want you to drink, people who use drugs want you to use drugs, people who smoke want you to smoke, people who eat red meat want you to eat red meat, etc, etc, etc. And I don't do any of those things, so I guess, you know, I don't get invited to parties, <laughs> which is okay.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's it. But you're doing you, and that's the main thing. Yes. Where can people learn more about you, Jim, and your work, and obviously get a copy of the book and, and find out more and, and really just well, themselves?
2: I invite everybody to my website,
1: septemics.com,
2: S-E-P-T-E-M-I-C-S dot com, where you can see what readers have said about it, what people have written about it, the reviews, sections of the book. You can even contact me through the website. So. Go to the website, and most people will find it interesting. Um, and generally speaking, almost anybody who I talk to about this winds up getting the book and reading it. Because they find out that there's something there that they didn't know anything about that has power. There is power in this book. Uh, the evil people who run the world. Uh, the globalist fascists who do horrible things like uh, cause gas shortages, cause inflation to go up, cause unemployment. None of this is accidental. It's all done by people. And if you study history, like, for example, the Rothschilds, the Rothschilds are armed Both sides of every European war, they wanted there to be war. The more war there was, the more money they made. They would loan money to the Germans so they could fight the French, and they'd loan money to the French so they could fight the Germans. That's what they have been doing for hundreds of years. That's exactly what happened in Vietnam. You know who won in Vietnam? The Vietnamese didn't win. The Americans didn't win. The aerospace companies won because they all got billion-dollar contracts to make bombs and planes and napalm. That whole thing was corrupt. I know, because I have connections in the military. I have friends who were killed over there. Every single person I know who was over there said it was a fiasco. That's not how the United States military runs. I know the United States military. They run things like a clock. This whole thing was corrupt. It's one of the worst crimes ever committed. 57, over 57,000 young American men lost their lives for no reason. Now, if the military wanted to win that war, they could have gone in there and won that war in a year, tops. But the military had their hands tied because the people in the government wanted to corruptly give Billion-dollar contracts to all the aerospace companies, Lockheed, Boeing, Brumman, they're all made out from this. So this book is a thorn in the side of those people because anybody can get it. If he can read English, he can straighten out his life. And whatever's going on with you, it doesn't matter what problem you have, this book will help you with it. Now, obviously, we're not talking about physiological things, Uh, but even there, because there's so much technology now, this book would help you to find the technology to fix it. For example, I've had over 1,100 acupuncture treatments. It works. It works on pretty much everything, but it's been kept down. It's been kept secret from people. So a lot of people don't know anything about it, you know, and they go to medical doctors who feed them poisons and cut them up with knives, which holistic health care practitioners don't do anything like that. There's no risk. You know, doctors pay like a million dollars a year in malpractice insurance. You know who pays for that insurance? You do. acupuncturists and chiropractors don't have that kind of malpractice insurance they don't need it because there's no it's almost impossible to hurt somebody with holistic health care so things like this go on sort of under the mainstream no. the mainstream does everything they can to keep you away from it you know there are all kinds of <clears throat> for example valerian valerian is a plant It's extremely effective in putting you to sleep. You can take a capsule of Lurie and you will go to sleep. But the pharmaceutical companies use it to manufacture Valium. You know why? You can patent Valium and you can make money. So the drugstores make money, the pharmaceutical companies make money from Valium. But people in the holistic field like myself know, you don't need that. You know, when you become uh, a Chinese acupuncture, a Chinese uh, herbalist, you have to memorize 5,000 herbs. You have to memorize the name and what it it treats and how to use it 5,000 times. So the information is there. I mean, traditional Chinese medicine is 3,000 years old. But I didn't find out about it until late in life because. It's a well-kept secret. Now the people who do it uh, aren't keeping it a secret, but you know, every time you turn on the, the television or look in a magazine or anything, you hear about medicine, you know, AstraZeneca, all these pharmaceutical companies that make trillions of dollars uh, and create horrific side effects in people. So obviously, uh, this book undercuts all of that because here's the scale of physical fitness. That scale will help you to figure out where you are and how to deal with it without going to medical doctors, without paying, what is it, $5,000 a month for health insurance.
1: Crazy. Crazy. Is there a final word or message you'd like to leave our listeners today, Jim, as to how they can change everything?
2: Well, I what I say to your listeners is take care of yourself and your friends and your family. Don't count on anybody to do it. Millions of people want to expect the government to help them or or whatever. Don't count on anybody. This book facilitates. Helping yourself and the people around you. That is what it does. It works. If you can read English, get the book and use it. This is not something that you just read and put down, like a novel. This is something that you can use for the rest of your life. You know, I have all these holistic books that I've been using on myself for most of my adult life. I mean, I was in the holistic field before the word holistic was even a word. And So I collected all these books that tell you, if you have this, take this herb. If you have this, take this herb. And taking care of myself. So I've been able to avoid a lot of the expense and trauma that people go through in in the, the medical profession. I mean, let me put it to you this way. If you need a doctor or a lawyer, it's already too late. This book can fend off those things, can, can help you to live your life in a way where you don't need doctors and lawyers. You know, it's like, it's like firemen. If you need a fireman, you're in a lot of trouble. Your house is on fire. It's nothing against firemen. I like firemen. They do a terrific job, and they're necessary. But you have to realize, if you're smart, and you're careful, and you have smoke detectors and so forth, you will be one of those people who never needs a fireman. Same thing with with the law. If you know the law and you obey the law, you're not going to get in trouble with the law. Even if you do a little something accidentally, most cops will just say, ah, go away. So it's all in your hands. Don't think you're powerless. Don't think you can't control the forces of the world. You can. And this book will just make that faster and easier. And that's my
1: message. It was absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the book. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm delighted you've shared this and so many amazing things. And for it to be the benefit of 25 years in the making, I think that in itself is, is quite a testimony that alone so listen I thank you for coming on today I thank you for sharing and uh, listen I wish you all the best and uh, I look forward to the opportunity of maybe chatting again in the future thank you Jim
0: thank you Pete it was a pleasure well that was another great episode of fire in the belly you know this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys and by the way sometimes it is personal it's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on We've loads more episodes coming up soon, and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons, and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you.